Welcome to From the Bleachers, a Real Housewives game analysis. I'm Sandra. I'm Mandy. And in a shocking turn of events that no one ever expected, Mandy, Mandy, I don't do social media, Mandy, just created our Instagram account. I can't believe you're dropping that on me right at the top of this episode. (laughs) Yes, I, my soul is dirty. I have an Instagram. I meant to check and see if we have more than just bots following us before we started recording, but I did not. So as of last check, we have two bots following us. (laughs) I think we've got somewhere close to like 10 people following us now or bots, Uh, maybe a couple friends. Real Housewives of Bend, Oregon on Instagram. Real Housewives of Bend, Oregon. If you want to be one of the first hundred followers someday when we're like at you know, 300, 400,000. And we've got like all sorts of like spawn con and whatever else going on. You can be like, I was one of the first 100 baby. So go follow us. I like it. I like it. My goal is for us to have more followers than Heather Gay. Oh my. Shoot. I know. Right? Hi. I know. I think we're going to wind up having to diversify into other Real Housewives um, franchises. Oh, 100%. I was trying to figure out what we should cover next because it's like we right now we've got once. Salt Lake City stops airing. We've got Beverly Hills, Potomac, and Miami are all airing right now. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out which one would be best to cover. I've always wanted to go to Miami. I don't know if that means that's the right franchise for me, but I'd be happy to do a little diligence, get to know the ladies in the first season, and then just jump in um, wherever we are. They're not too far in. And the first the first few seasons, I actually had a really hard time getting into them the first few seasons. It wasn't that good, but they've really turned it up the last couple of seasons. So I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'd be good to watch them before they're all flooded and underwater. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I just ruin our escapist podcast by bringing in the real world. <laughs> On that note, let's uh, <laughs> let's dive in. All right. So here we are. We're in, uh, we're season four, episode 10, right? Episode 10. We start with a flashback to last episode. Heather tells Lisa she's the least Mormon person on the planet. And Lisa replies, I'm a hundred percent Mormon. That's why my kid's serving the Lord. Monica tells Heather and Meredith that her mom takes the car when she's mad at her, leaving her and her four kids without a car. And we get a great face play from Heather that I missed in the actual episode, probably because I was knee deep in my notes. And I really want to make my face play of the game part of the flashback. We probably can't do that. (laughs) Uh, But I am going to start putting face plays on the Instagram. So another little Uh, plug. Go check that out on Instagram. Yum. Real Housewives of Bend, Oregon. Monica and Angie make up in front of a backdrop of roses. Monica and Lisa's confrontation play at Whitney's prison party with Angie staying in the middle of it, which last week earned her a play of the week from one of us and an MVP award from the other one of us. And then we get our opening shots, the mountains and the choir, which I just love on SLC on Salt Lake City. (laughs) And then we get Heather's meeting with a party planner to plan her book signing and I have to say, uh, I in the last episode, I think the red outfit Heather is wearing in that moment is the same one she was wearing in that flashback where she was sitting with Whitney. And I know mm-hmm. it was the same red purse. And I thought, oh, I wanted to see more of that outfit. Where was that outfit? And I would like to rescind that <laughs> comment. I want to see less of that outfit. 
I thought the first time on the podcast that we would ever we would ever have to rescind something would be like if we got like an we got something a detail wrong or like maybe we offended a certain population and would need to like make an apology. But no, it's you rescind your compliment of the fashion play. This is this is my Angie play of the podcast. I want to own my mistake. So then we get and we're at Angie's house. Angie is brushing her dog Celia. She's a white poodleish dog with pink ears and feet. And this was my pampered pet of the week. And just one more example of why Angie was promoted from a friend of last season to a full housewife this season and is putting in a amazing rookie season. She really is. She is definitely rookie of the year. Well, I don't know though. Monica's all yeah. it's gonna be interesting to There's see competition. who gets rookie of the year on those two. Um now let's go to Whitney's house because we've got uh, a scene coming up with Whitney and Lisa. We've got Whitney setting up uh, her charcuterie board and Lisa arriving eventually through a white picket fence, but the editors have taken this opportunity to really hone in on the comedy and uh, make Lisa look incredibly incapable as she is unable to open the fence gate. They've got this boppy music going, and then as we see Lisa struggling, the music slows down, and then finally, she gets it open, music ramps back up, Lisa gets to come in. So we find out Justin's out of town. Kids are upstairs with a movie. Whitney's really excited to just chill out in her her fun green jammies. And I don't know why she's wearing so much makeup if she's chilling out, but I guess maybe it's the end of the day. So I know, and she has like the top of the jammies like tucked in, you know, to that where you know that like style now where you like top top you tuck in just like the front little bit. And I'm like, who takes the time to do that with their jammies? Right with your jammies. I'm always (laughs) trying to do that with my pants, and it never fails because I never I I I am not that slender in the center. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But it, it never. That it way I can't like get really, it to work. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's all body type, <laughs> and I think we just have the wrong clothes. I think if we had the right tops, it might work better. I don't know. Well, just cover it up with that Patagonia vest, and no one will ever know. Right. So we've got the two of them hanging out. We've got a phone call comes in. So this is another moment where Lisa's technology interferes with her presence, her being present with whoever she's with. She takes Heather's call and what we get out of here is Heather asking Lisa to sing at the book signing event. Lisa, of course, says yes. Why wouldn't she? So they hang up. They joke about how they're both now going to have to read the book. And then I read the book. It's good. Have you read it? I recommend it. it. I have read it and it's good. I and I've read other housewives book or at least one other housewives book. And that was the other one was much more difficult to get through. I'll say that. <laughs> the writing was not quite as quality. Heather's a good writer, which I think is rare for a for a housewife player. And she seems pretty, she seems pretty sharp, I gotta say. Of all of these housewives, she's the one who I feel like I could actually sit down and have a conversation with. Yeah. Anyway, so then we've got Whitney's confrontation play, right? So she uh, she ponies up and basically says, What the fuck happened at the prism event? She doesn't say that because as we learn later, they don't talk that way in their house. 
Lisa <laughs> defends. She did not start it, the fight between her and Monica. And Whitney essentially berates her and says, you should have enough self-awareness, enough self-control to realize that you are screaming at my business event. Lisa's like, I only yelled once to make Monica stop talking. Whitney says it's both of their faults, but she's more upset with Lisa because Lisa knows her heart, knows her journey. <laughs> So lame, but I love it. Okay. Right. I mean, it's very Whitney. Um, And then we get an ITM from Lisa that uh, points out that maybe Whitney shouldn't be the one talking about decorum at events because Whitney is also liking to stir the pot. So we've got the snarky ITM. We juxtapose that with Lisa actually giving some apology play, saying she's very sorry. She takes responsibility for staying, but... She basically steamrolls right over that apology in true housewife style into wondering what's going on with Angie. Angie said she doesn't like Monica. What are these side conversations? Why is Angie hanging out with Monica? I feel like we should be rating apology plays. That is a great idea. Like what makes a good apology? You actually you have to actually say the words "I'm sorry" or "I apologize." You know, like we can make it like a a, a point system. You get you get you get your point for saying like "I'm sorry" or "I apologize." You have to take accountability. You have to say how it must have made the other person feel. Well, and I think you can't qualify it. So, like, you got to deduct points mm-hmm. if you're qualifying. If your you're qualifying, apology. yes. No snarky tone over the top of it, as we'll see later in the episode. Right, exactly. We're we're foreshadowing the Meredith Marks non-apology. I'm going to prepare for us an apology rating tool, and I will come back prepared with it. And this is why Sandra is the brains of this of this enterprise, is because she's got all of these rubrics in her head. All right. So Whitney wants to know if Lisa's upset by the fact that Angie and Monica seem to be friends. Lisa says she's not upset. She's just hurt. Whitney reminds Lisa how upset she was when she saw them hugging at the end of the party. And we get that clip. And Lisa says it contradicts what Angie is saying. Whitney thinks Angie's trying to placate Lisa's emotions because she doesn't want to upset her. Whitney asks Lisa if Angie has ever stood up to her. We get silence. And that is such a great moment because I really do seem to think there's a power imbalance between Angie and Lisa. And I think it's a fascinating contrast between Angie and Meredith because Angie does seem to not want to rock the boat with Lisa. She seems to feel she is lower in the hierarchy to Lisa, but above Meredith, which I find interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way before because I was just thinking of her as kind of like taking a back seat and like people pleasing to everyone. Right. Which she, she does say later in the episode, right. That she's a big people pleaser, but she certainly doesn't think she needs to please Meredith and she is in Meredith's business this whole season. That's true. I think Whitney makes the correct assessment that Lisa is triggered by Monica and Angie's friendship, that basically this is Lisa just being jealous of Monica and Angie's friendship. But Lisa continues with her narrative that that she is not jealous. She's just upset that Angie's not being honest with her. That and she keeps saying things like the ocular doesn't match the actions. So we've got more of that crazy Salt Lake City lexicon here where they say really weird things and use words in a bizarre way. So Whitney ITMs about how Lisa only sees things from her own perspective. And then Lisa goes on an F-bomb tirade. Like, don't care if you're fucking friends. Don't lie about it. And Whitney's son, Brooks, is peeking around the corner. Whitney does not like this. 
Whitney is like, we don't talk this way in our home. The kids are probably worried because we don't have raised voices in our home. This was so crazy. It was so strange. I felt like this was Whitney trying to say, I'm a different person on TV than I am in real life. And my kids don't know that. <laughs> right. And maybe do they, they've never seen any of these episodes. They've never seen their mom drunk at a party, instigating <laughs> drama. They've never seen her twerking at a party. I mean, I sort of am like, uh, this doesn't make much sense. But it really, it, it's almost like part of Whitney's storyline, right? Part of this, I'm the grown up here. Although I did look up her age. She is still the youngest one. She is younger than Monica, mm. according to the internet, which knows everything. <laughs> I feel like this is Whitney's confrontation play and it fizzles. Apology play successfully fizzles out a confrontation play, even though the apology play, as we have discussed, mm. was not that amazing. But I think that takes the wind out of your sails when someone admits you're wrong and then you're like, oh, okay. Although she kind of takes it back with her ITM. Right. She totally takes it back. So she's, and then and she talks about the etiquette and, uh, you know, good etiquette is making your guests feel comfortable, which I think like proper debate technique does not make for good <laughs> housewife play. So good etiquette does not equal good housewife play. Fair. Now this scene and in this episode, something that has been bothering me for a long time, finally developed into a worthwhile don't do this endeavor, which is a new drinking game that I don't want anyone to do where you have to drink every time the housewives touch their hair with both their hands. Do they do that a lot? I haven't noticed. Oh my God. How could you have missed that? <laughs> they are constantly touching their hair. No, <laughs> you would go to the hospital with alcohol poisoning if you did this. Okay. Every time a house with like Noted. a single, even if you like you take out the single hair touch, I still think with the double hand touch, you're in big trouble. Maybe we'll have to start keeping a touching the hair count. Double double hand touch hair count. But that's when we get like, can can you put your PA on that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm already watching the episodes enough times for other things. <laughs> Mandy, I've managed to drag you into the housewives pit mm -hmm. completely. For those who don't know, Mandy had never watched a single episode of Housewives before I I had never seen a about... full episode of any <laughs> reality TV show ever. And I grew up with real world. So within the last month, I have successfully pulled you into the real not only just the Housewives pit, but the reality TV the reality TV pit. And we've got you to join social media. And you're telling me you're not going to keep a double hair touch count. Double hand hair touch count. And I'm telling you, give it three or four weeks. I know, right? So this is my boundaries keep <laughs> being broken down slowly but surely. So we come back from commercial and we are at Mary's house. Mary's back this episode. And uh, Heather is coming over to visit. We learn it's Heather's first time ever visiting Mary's house. And Heather ITMs that Mary's decor style is just like Mary's personality. You never really quite know what you're going to get. We have green carpet. We have Chanel pillows. We have a Tiffany blue kitchen and Dr. Seuss chairs. We also had a nice clip of her cousin or whatever family member it is who is her housekeeper, which I mm, enjoyed. That's right. And then I could probably, if we wanted to just have a separate episode, a one hour episode about Mary's decor, I think we could do that. I actually have, I actually like her Dr. Seuss chairs and I have a picture of me in a very similar chair 
which I have posted on Instagram on our so website, we can now on our, our website, see how <laughs> listeners see how out of touch I am. Oh, Gen X. <laughs> I could leave the green carpet. That was terrible. Green carpet. But I think horrifying. some fun, weird pops are fun. I like, yep. I like the Dr. Seuss chairs. I'll take those. I would definitely put those in my house. Heck yeah. Mary says, we'll always have a connection. You can say no if you don't agree. And we get a shot of Heather like half smiling and (laughs) nodding, but staying silent. Mary says they understand each other because they have similar spiritual backgrounds. So she wants to see how Heather's doing. And she wants to talk about what she wrote about her in her book. Mary ITMs that Heather wants both things. She wants her community and church, but she also wants her dark side, but she can't have both. I had my I had my fa- my own face play to the the comment that the other side that Heather wants is a dark side. <laughs> Anything <laughs> not to do with the church is the dark side. Then Mary says, speaking about the book and delivers an incredible large eyed face play, which you can see on our Instagram. And Heather asks if she read the book. Mary says she read the part that she's in. And Heather asks if she read the rest of the book. And Mary says she skimmed through it. And this has really become a little trope, right? Everyone has read Mm -hmm. only the part of the book they're in if they've read it at all. And so I like it because it also helps highlight the depth of Heather's journey and how shallow these other people are because they only (laughs) want to read about themselves. Mary says... The part in the book that is about her is the part that she remembers because not because it was the only part that she read, but because it wasn't true. And Heather says every word was true. So then we get an ITM. I was going to say, I just love, I love these moments where Heather doesn't back away. Yeah. She's always good when she stands her ground. Mm -hmm. Then we get an ITM where Heather reads a section of her book. Great receipts. Um, a great continuation of her storyline this season and also a great promo for her book. Mm -hmm. Mary said it made her sound like she's bougie and poised. And Heather says she is bougie and poised. Does not back away. Heather ITMs. She doesn't think she said anything that was that bad. And if anything, she erred on the side of caution. I love that. Heather reminds Mary that she said Heather doesn't even know she looks inbred. <laughs> and then we flash back to a clip of Mary saying just that. Heather asks Mary if she thinks she looks inbred. And Mary says, I do, with certainty in her voice. And Heather delivers some shocked face play. There was such good back and forth face play in this season. I mean, sorry, in this scene. This scene is just such a great comedy scene. and With the Dr. Seuss chairs behind them. Right, right. <laughs> and then like then after that shocked face play, right, then Mary snorts like she laughs. She's just like yes. bends forward laughing and snorting. <laughs> in her ITM, yeah. She says, Heather's going to get me for that one. She's so childlike and fun in this ITM mm-hmm. and in this scene. And I feel like Mary is enjoying herself so much more as a minor player in this episode, mm-hmm. as a friend of. And honestly, you've got like a manufactured drama scale. This scene seems almost like a manufactured comedy scale. Yeah, but they pull it off really well. I feel they like do. there's manufactured drama that can be pulled off better than than others. Yeah. And this is this just seems like they're just having fun and they are friends and like they're probably laughing about the scene together when it's over. Yeah, I could see that. Mary plays an apology to Heather. She says, I was just angry and I'm sorry. Like I'm really am sorry. I think the double down on the sorry gets a bonus points when we're judging our apology play. Comes off more authentic. Yep. Yep. Um she said, I would never want to hurt you or say things 
to you that's not true. Heather says it's hard because a lot of people are upset about the things she wrote in the book, but she was trying to present things as authentically as she could. Mary says she's proud of Heather. And Heather says one day Mary can write her own book and she'll see how hard it is to be authentic, but to also be kind. This moment, this is an (laughs) Oscar nomination for Mary Cosby. Meryl Streep could not have played this moment better. Heather makes that comment and you just see this slow light turning on in Mary and this very soft, like, I don't think I'd write a book. Maybe maybe I will write a book one day. And it's all going on in her eyes and her voice and her face. And I just loved this moment. It was so like, like not dog shown a card trick kind of like, huh. She was inspired. We're going to flash back to this scene in the future next uh, <laughs> next season or the season after when Mary comes out with her book. And then we get a sneak peek of Vovo showing up at Monica's house unannounced and bearing gifts. So we know there's going to be some good Monica drama coming up. But before that, we've got another semi-comedic scene where we get a little more heart on our, our housewives. We've got Meredith and Seth and Antonio, her their podcast producer. So we get the um, technological struggles of Meredith, although I would say she is not struggling with those pink shiny headphones she's wearing. I like that. I liked her ITM. I wear the same headphones as Meredith Marks. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'm not only have the same Dr. Seuss chair, but the same headphones. And I'm just I have so much glee. There's so much glee infused within me this episode. I will put it. I'll put a picture of the headphones and my headphones. You should put them sitting on the chair. I don't actually own the chair, but that's okay. Oh, I thought you said you had one similar. No, I don't. I don't have one, but I've I've, I've sat in one in the past and took a picture. That's right. It counts. (laughs) Okay. So Seth comes in, they're sitting down to podcast together. And for those who aren't aware, their podcast is called Hanging by a Thread, available wherever you get your podcast. So I looked it up, of course. And keep in mind, this season was filmed last winter. They didn't launch the podcast until like less than two months ago. So, But we're supposed to buy that they're recording. They're actually recording episodes in these scenes. So I'm like, did they really record them then and save them for several months to release them? Maybe that's part of the deal that they're not allowed to release them until this show was airing. Yeah, or it could be a strategy because they they know that people aren't going to download their podcast until they really know about it and they're like seeing about it and the thing. But I checked them on CastBox because if, if for anyone who uses CastBox, you can actually see like the number of subscribers and downloads and whatnot. And they're definitely struggling. They're shaky. So if you want to go support their podcast... Go check it out. I haven't actually listened yet, but I I plan to at some point. Well, maybe part of it. Why is Seth lisping on this? I don't. That's what I was. That was confusing. Maybe he needs to work on that. The other thing we need to work on is recording the episodes for real. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's a fail on the producer's part. He didn't actually tell her he you should be able to see whether it's recording right, whether she, podcast. Yeah, like, so meredith she has this little bit too about how challenging it is to rein in seth because he does all these like goofy lip smacking noise which 
That would be awful in a microphone. Right. It kind of reminded me of that, um, that I'm so much edgier than, than I really am kind of moment of Lisa Barlow driving the car on the racetrack in Las Vegas, where she's like bragging <laughs> about how fast she's going to go. And then she's going like 65. So they start talking about their wedding and Seth ribs about how many, you know, the guest list size, having it at the Ritz Carlton. And then Antonio brings up how they had a prenup and they say, no, 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 no. They had a postnup 15 years into the marriage. And this is where we get, you know, the music helps set up the emotional nature of this revelation we're about to get. So Meredith talks about how Seth was very distant at that time. Yeah, this is a great PTC for Meredith. Great PTC. Um, she's moving with her three children to Park City, Utah. Utah is not favorable for women in divorce. Shocker. She was worried she'd lose her children, be stuck in a place she didn't know with no support system. So there was nothing financial in the post-nap, strictly about custody of the children. Then we get that sort of Seth reaction of like, dude, you're a hottie and I'm a schlub. You thought I would leave you? And Seth explains how during that time... He thought the husband was just supposed to make the money and nothing else really. Like his job was just financially support the family. And he admits how he wasn't there from an emotional standpoint and how he knows it hurt Meredith. And Seth has produced tears, big apology play, which all this all goes into Meredith's scorecard, right? And they're holding hands. So this has been a great play for the both of them. And to top it off, we get the comedic moment where <laughs> Seth is bearing his soul and wiping his tears. She's like, oh, wait, are we not recording? <laughs> what is the point of this PTC if we're not recording? What, uh, did it happen? Did the, did the tree fall? <laughs> yeah, kind of bringing us uh, into their marriage a little bit. I thought that was good. And then we find ourselves at Monica's house. Monica and her kids are in the living room. Her younger kids are playing on the couch. Monica is helping Brie, her oldest daughter, with making prom posters and blowing up balloons. And then through the window, we see a car pulling up in the driveway. And Brie says, is that Vovo? And Monica seems surprised to see her there. We see like a little face play. I think Brie's, the look on Brie's face was like a, a legit one of kind of general anxiety. Like that was like an oh shit kind of face. Yeah, they're all kind of panicked. And uh, Monica tells Brie she doesn't want Vovo coming in the house with the kids there. She goes outside to talk to her. And I think Brie even says something about like locking the door. And this is definitely my ick here. Like, I don't know who set this up. Was this producers and Vovo going behind Monica's back? Was Monica involved in planning this or not? It was just a little icky that we're involving the kids in this. Like they, The producers set the filming schedule, right? They could have done it during the day when the kids are at school. Right. But it was done with the kids and that amped up the drama, but in a way that definitely gave me an ick. I figured the ick factor would be very high for you on this. So I'm not surprised by that. Sometimes, sometimes things cross the line for me. Yep, you, <laughs> you still have some boundaries. Some, a few, one or one or two. I forget that the children have not all like that. They don't have agency in this. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if Monica was checked with. Like, it might have been the producers in Vovo, or like Monica might have thought we're doing a family scene. That's kind of what I the felt. producers in Vovo have. That's kind of what I felt too. I wasn't sure if I was was like that's. Ugh. And then they like the producers were like, let's get. Bobo went on here. The rough. 
So Monica ITMs, there has been zero communication between her, she and her mother since dinner. They flash back to that dinner with the plant <laughs> to remind us <laughs> that Vovo took their vehicle. Um, then we're in the driveway. Vovo says she comes bearing gifts, referring to the car that she's returning. And Monica says this is not a gift. Vovo says it's a peace offering. Vovo rocking the pigtails. Really liked her look in the mm. scene. Makes her look a little more, a little less evil, a little more, a little more uh, vulnerable. Right? I would totally. I mean, she she kind of reels me in with those pigtails. I think she's. <laughs> I, I'd like. I'm envious of how cute the pigtail look works on her. Monica says she can't live this way anymore with Vovo taking her car every time she gets mad. And Vovo said she's just trying to get her attention, but she'll stop. She won't do it anymore. Monica says this is their relationship pattern, the high highs and the low lows. Vovo says she clearly has some skills to learn and we get great reaction face play from Monica looking first up and then to the side, uh, Vovo brings up therapy again and asks if Monica will go to therapy with her. And I thought like when this, when they first brought this up at the dinner, I thought this was like that it, this had already kind of been decided that they were going to have like a therapy scene and they were just, the producers just wanted them to like lead into it. But here Monica's more resistant. We see Monica's actually more resistant to therapy. This is maybe something that Vovo's trying to put it push with the producers. And Monica says that she needs to think about it because they have gone to therapy. Vova points out that it was such a long time ago and the two of them can be the ones to break the cycle of dysfunction. And we get more face play from Monica. She almost does this like double face play thing where she makes one great expression and then she transitions into another one right afterwards. And this amazing double face play was my face play of the game. Very nice. Very nice. You can find it on our Instagram, Real Housewives of Bend, Oregon. She says, you just took my car from me. You want to talk about dysfunction? And Vovo decides to play an apology. It's just a very simple, I'm sorry. There's no fluff around it. Maybe like a one-pointer apology. Monica ITMs that they've tried therapy several times before, but her mom doesn't show up as herself, so it doesn't fix anything. I thought this was a really good and mature insight from Monica. I'm just going to tell you, we all know what my views were on Monica in our last <laughs> episode. I am warming up. Monica. Oh, wow. Because maybe we're switching places. So I'll, uh -huh. I'll talk about it more later. I love it. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Monica says she'll think about therapy, but Vovo better get to walking because it's going to be a cold walk home. And there is a shocked face play reaction from Vovo. Vovo asks if Brie can drive her home and Monica says no and walks inside, leaving Vovo to walk home alone in the cold. So the way Monica turns and says no and just walks away <laughs> was amazing. It was I a good moment. I loved that moment. And that's sort of my whole body play of the game. So it is face play plus <laughs> vocal play plus it. body play. Like that was insane. I loved it. I have to say that takes guts, leaving your own mother to walk home alone in the cold. But if Vova really did work out with the producers to surprise her at her home with the kids, like I get it. Okay, I thought yeah. that this was the most memorable thing that happened the entire season. And that's why Monica forcing her mom to walk home in the cold was my play of the game. We have massive agreement on this because hands down for its shock value alone, 
forcing her mother to walk home after the return of the car was also my play of the game. <laughs> this is a, this is a moment like if we in Game of Roses style make a bracket of play of the week and have a playoff. This is going in there. This is an amazing, oh, sure. memorable moment. And I just loved Vovo's like, are you fucking kidding me? Muttering <laughs> as she walks off. But Love also it. then I was kind of wondering, does she have, can she just call like, um, she can get an Uber. She can ask Uber. a producer. Maybe one of the cameramen can take her somewhere. You right. know? Like, no, no. I'm sure that, I'm sure that the production crew doesn't get involved. That's part of the, is that part of the rules? Making a good reality show. I <laughs> Love it. I Love it. Well, from that, that stellar moment, we then turn to Heather's book signing event or her book party event. Um, And this is great. This is the first full cast scene we've had in a while and of this episode. So we get Heather's ITM. It's her first small event in Salt Lake City, how this book and the book tour has made her feel less isolated, more connected. She's meeting up with people who share her story and she feels like maybe she's gained more than she's lost. We also find out that she's oversold the event and she says, I always oversell. We just need to clean on that. I love it. (laughs) So Lisa shows up. She loves the living room setup. And then she grabs the mic because she wants to start practicing, um, which is a pro move, right? This is her thing. I loved Heather's gold microphone. I really want a gold microphone like that. Just Just to add to my housewife's paraphernalia. I think there's so many great gift ideas for you that I have out there. I like, I'm already like planning like game of roses swag that you clearly need. So, so we get Lisa's ITM about what a rough week it is. What a weird place she's in with Whitney. She doesn't want to talk to Angie. She just wants to have a good time with a good time girl. Meredith shows up. She's got this blazer with a lace intercut. There's just, I, I love her continual effort to make blazers interesting. Yes. And I love um, I love a leather outfit to begin with. And all three of them, Heather, Lisa, and Meredith at this point are all in leather. And so at first I was like, is this a leather themed event? Although no one else wore leather after that. But when Meredith shows up with her, with the, the leather, with the lace down the sleeves, I was like, damn, okay, she wins. That was my fashion play of the game for sure. That was great. I love it. I love that you just ma- mentioned a leather themed event. So Angie walks in, she's got on this red, orange, cray-cray bodysuit and some crazy braided hair to match. So I call this a fashion error in this game, but I guess that is what a fashion play can be, right? If it's really memorable. (laughs) So (laughs) anti-ITMs, I haven't talked to Lisa normally. We talk about 80 times a day, so I know something is up. And then Monica... A very subtle, very probably not eventful or meaningful tardy for the party. Last one to show up. Yep. The last one to arrive to a big event. We give them the tardy for the party award um, because the producers usually tell the women in what order to arrive and often intentionally have the player who's currently embroiled in the most drama arrive last. We named it Tardy for the Party after the song from the early seasons of Real Housewives of Atlanta that blew up into a hit single for Kim Solsiak. And so Monica gets that award. Again, I, yeah, I don't think there was anything major going on. Yeah, not like Jen Shaw being the last person to show up at her own party that she is throwing for... <laughs> was that for Meredith? That was for Meredith's party. Yeah. I don't anyway, remember. season one. So uh, Monica says, yeah, I haven't seen her since our spiritual encounter at the sound bath, which I liked. And she <laughs> then then you see her asking at the bar is like anything without Vita because she doesn't want to drink Lisa's tequila. Oh, wow. I didn't even catch that. Oh, yeah. See, she is. She I think she deserves that TFP. 
I mean, she's, she's, she's come, she's ready to bring the drama. She's always comes ready to bring she the drama. Always <laughs> ready to bring the drama. So then we've got a cute little Heather and Lisa. Are you nervous? Uh, yeah, I'm nervous. Here, you want to sip on my tequila because we all know alcohol solves all problems. I love Lisa as the supportive friend here. It's like, I need a friend to just follow me around and hand me drinks when I'm nervous. Isn't that what the PA will do? <laughs> oh, you're right. I should just hire people to be my friends. Thank you. Well, that's what sororities are for. Um, we're going to get a lot of flack from our listener on that one. Our single listener. <laughs> uh, okay. So then we get a cut to Monica and Meredith. So Monica summarizes to Meredith what happened at the PRISM event. She even uses the word bickering, which I like. And of course, she highlights Lisa's comment about your own mother doesn't want you. We get the receipts flashback from the editors. Big eyes from Meredith. So some good, some good face play there. Yeah, I wanted to know the lawyer's take on this one because the flashback shows the wording was actually no one wants to be her mother. She didn't say her mother doesn't even want her. You so what's what's your take? Is right. that <laughs> I think I think intent. I think it's similar intent. <laughs> So Monica throws down and I'm not going to let her bully me and not fight back. Meredith reminds Monica, this is like a great little, I am your Zen teacher. Meredith says to Monica, remember how you say you react rather than respond. Why don't you try and give her a response rather than a reaction, which is kind of an advice play, a mothering play. I don't know. What would you call that? <laughs> Listener. I'm out. I'm out of place. Cassandra's <laughs> <laughs> just shaking her head slowly with her lips kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what we call it. Monica, in a very self-aware comedic moment, says, well, that sounds healthy, so I probably won't do it, which gets a big laugh out of Meredith. I always love it when we can break the ice cream. Then we cut to Lisa at the mic. She jokes about her hit single, Away in a Manger, which is a reference to a season three episode where she auditioned for... Heather's choir and she starts singing. We get some strong reaction shots from our crowd. We get Monica with shaking her head in a loud no. And is this yeah, Maria yeah. Angie Snickers? Yeah, this is this was part of what starts turning me on oh, Monica. She was so rude about Lisa singing. Yeah, there's just a lot. Uh, I'll get into it later, but there's just a I just feel like there's a lot of snarky from Monica and there's not enough of like the seeing who she is mixed in. Okay. There's not enough like of what makes her a good player, I think, is her story and seeing her authenticity and then seeing her bring the drama. And I just didn't see enough of like the warm from her. I'm trying to think if in the last episode, I felt like there was much warm from her. Maybe it's because this episode before that there was. And so I felt like it was good. It was like we had led up yeah. to it well. And now it's like, now where it's not, it's like, okay, two episodes in a row where it's, you're just being obnoxious. It's just starting. Yeah. To to I me. guess I felt like this was just so small. Like this little bit didn't bother me as much, but now that you bring it up, maybe it does a little. And then we get a cut of back to Lisa and she's like, Hey, I'm kind of bored with this song. Heather. Heather's like, uh, you need some energy. Can I get a big amen for Lisa Barlow? Can I get another one? And then the choir stands up and they start singing. Amen. Amen. And all of that. It's the Salt Lake City local vocals that give Lisa a beat. She wraps a little intro. Monica says that was awful. And then we get this kind of comedy edit inner splice of Meredith in Angie and Monica reacting to Lisa's little rap that she did, which I'm going to come out and say, I didn't think it was that bad. 
I thought it was kind of <laughs> cute. I mean, like, this is a white girl rapping, you know? Like, of course, it's not going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, what did you... Maybe a white girl should just never. We're going to get a lot of comments on Maybe that. That's the lesson <laughs> here. <our> sorority sister <laughs> listener. Our single, a singer, our single white sorority sister. It's going to be like, wait, I rap amazing and look at my great braids in my hair. So um, Monica makes another dig. I want my money back. Then we cut to Heather. Now she's leading and, and talking about her book tour. This is the culmination of an international book tour. And she we get really a lot of heart in this moment, right? I never wanted to be a bad Mormon. I wanted to be a perfect Mormon. We also get a nice little cut of Lisa and Meredith sitting together, which I thought was a nice little lunchroom middle school analysis moment. Who's sitting with who? Heather reads mm. from her book. She reads a story about returning from Norway, someone volunteering to move so she can sit with her friends. And then at baggage claim, she sees him pull out his Mormon missionary name tag. And Heather says, you're a missionary? So the guy worries he's going to get in trouble for not wearing his name tag and all this. And Heather says, no, 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 no. There was just something different about you. And Heather starts to get emotional. And now I know what it is. And we see Georgia wiping a tear away. All the women are soft and mm. solemn in the audience. It's all very heartwarming. Editors have placed some really lovely music underneath this scene to support the emotion of it. And Heather continues. She says, I just wanted to hug him and say, I know you. I used to hold sacred what you hold sacred. And you ever change your mind, I'll help you. And she doesn't want him to think that she isn't on his side. And despite it all, when she saw that name tag, he was the only person in the airport she wanted to talk to. So essentially what we're getting out of this passage is that Heather's respect and love still for the people who are practicing Mormons. And so just because she is no longer a practicing Mormon and just because she's been hurt by this community, she still supports all of these people in the community whether they see the problems with it that she has or not. Yeah. And I like that towards the very end of the scene, we get like a little ITM from Monica. Mm -hmm. That's very humanizing talking about her reaction and to this quote from Heather's book um, and less of her antagonizing. And this was, it was in this moment that I was like, that's what we need more of from Monica. It was just, just this one tiny part of the episode that we got where we saw her heart. And I just want to see more heart, I guess from her. I get that. I get that. And it, this is a nice moment because she does. Yeah. She talks about how they always had missionaries in the home, would feed them meals. She has great memories. She cherishes them. They were like older brothers. So yeah. I don't know if it's a lack of her providing moments of heart or a lack of the producers putting it in, but whatever it is, I feel like we're not seeing enough of it. Okay. So this could be a villain edit, right? Could be. All right. So that ends with Heather taking a selfie with all of the audience. And then we cut to commercial. We come back from commercial. Heather is offering to sign books and meet everyone. Lisa hugs Heather, says you did such a good job. More of the supportive friend at think that she plays that role really well. I love her in this episode because of that. Heather ITMs that this was the best year of her life. She's hugging people. She's meeting people. She ITMs. She can't believe that people read the book and like the book. And she doesn't want it to end. She wants to write another book about who she is and why she feels the way that she does. And then we see a man who's coming up to her for a book signing and he reveals to her that he wants to leave the church, but he stays for his parents. And I replayed that a couple of times because I was like, did he really say that? I was like wondering, does he, does he know this is going to like be on a television show? <laughs> like, Do you think his parents are going to be watching it? I, mean, I know, but on. people in the community <laughs> will, and it, you know, communities talk. 
That's true. It is a small little community. So whoever that is, my heart goes out to you if now your parents have heard this. This may have been a rough week for him. Yes. And Lisa and Heather have a moment. Lisa loved listening to the passage that Heather read. It makes her think of Jack. And Heather says, I want to be a part of it. But she feels left out because she wrote the book. And she wants validation that rules exist for some people. Lisa says, you're validated (laughs) all this time to get to that. And she thinks if you grow up here, there's a weird set of rules that um, her kids don't doesn't don't have that Heather's kids do have and Heather and her kids do have. And Lisa tells Heather she respects that she's still on her journey in figuring out where she is in relation to Mormonism. Heather or Lisa ITMs. It's so nice to be at this point in her relationship with Heather. We can accept each other. What bothered her most was what Heather says about Jack's mission. Jack wants to serve others. He wants to promote kindness and love. And that's different than Heather's experience. And Lisa is glad that Heather is realizing there isn't only one way to live any religion, specifically theirs. Lisa tells Heather, you make people feel good. Heather says she needs to be more open to Lisa's experience instead of saying that it's not fair that she can wear strapless dresses and drink tequila. And Heather ITMs, it's a big moment for them. It feels good that Lisa and she are able to be friends. And I love that breakthrough between Heather and Lisa here and being able to kind of step in and see things through each other's perspective. That's just like the kind of, it's a good like real relationship struggle and growth. It's low on the MDS it's more authentic drama, I think, that we can all really relate to. So I thought this was a really I good ag- play. I agree. I thought it was a really beautiful moment. I thought there was a little bit of that um, insecurity play on Heather's part where she does in her ITM say, you know, like, I didn't bring down Lisa's game, where she is, you know, sort of making herself seem less valuable or important than Lisa. I thought it was a really great friendship play for both of them. Like, it was just, a, there was a lot of heart. I agree. Yeah. So we cut to Angie, Monica, and Meredith. Monica is asking Meredith and Angie if they've talked, and Angie says no. Angie says she doesn't want to make a big deal of it, but she knows. See, there is a little people pleasing in here. She doesn't want to make Mm -hmm. a big deal of it, but she knows that Meredith was making threats against her family. Meredith defends that she wasn't threatening Angie's family. Um, She says that it's not a threat. I just said I could ruin your family if I wanted to. I love that. <laughs> like that is a threat, actually. Right. <laughs> like that's that's probably pretty technically what it means to make a threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Meredith, yeah, she just says, but I'm, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. That's such an empty defense, too, right? Like, oh, my right. threats are empty. Like you can't, yeah. <laughs> like your defense can't be like, yeah, but it was an empty threat. Angie says Meredith doesn't have the power to ruin her family, and Meredith gives a very patronizing, "Okay, Angie." Angie calls Meredith out on her passive aggressive style, saying she's just telling Meredith how Meredith made her feel. And Meredith, okay. yes, nobody. Number one, remember, no one can make you feel anything. You're in charge of your feelings. And number two, I think this honesty and openness play is totally backfiring on Angie. Yeah, it's not going well for Angie. Meredith makes kind of, can we call it an apology play? I've got it. It's a faux-pology play. Yeah, it's like she's saying the words of an apology, but it's said with a tone of, I'm not actually apologizing and I don't really care. It's a (laughs) faux-pology. Angie says nothing, um, but she thanks her. That's This is where I was like, ooh. What's going on? She was, she was like, yeah. oh, thank, thank you for apologizing. When it's like, that wasn't an apology. Monica says that's more than she's gotten from Lisa. It's her attempt to interject herself here, but it doesn't work. Angie then thanks 
Meredith for not running away. And Meredith replies, I don't. And then Meredith runs away. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the most error-filled moment I've seen in a long time, right? Like Angie is purposely irritating Meredith, just referencing this running away. We've seen Angie be super aggressive and in Meredith's face this whole season. She's not that way with everyone else. Yeah, like, and then Meredith actually commits the next error, right? By actually, I'll, I'll let you talk. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this was totally like a, I think it was an error on both their parts. I can't believe Angie accepted that non-apology. It was horrible. Like in the moment, she definitely should have pushed that more. Right. And then Meredith just booking it and not continuing to engage was, I mean, that's, that's just par for, for Meredith. That's just what she does. Angie should have, should, shouldn't have let her do that. Like she should have stopped her and be like, that's not a real apology. Like they, they needed to yes. hash this out. It could have yep. been, I felt like the drama that comes next, which I'll talk about later was a total non-drama. And I felt like a lot of this episode, except maybe the Monica Vovo stuff was just non-drama. And it could have been so much more interesting if they, if these two actually had gone in and hashed this out. And so because of that, this error on both their parts, this was my error of the game. I also agree that it is poor play. And even if Meredith Marks' marriage podcast is amazing, if she keeps compiling these kinds of errors, she's going to get kicked off this team. So this was also, this moment was my error of the game. Meredith leaves. We cut to Heather with her daughters. Heather tells them she's doing a second book and they're excited. Heather asks if they're on board and if they will take the burrito thrown at their car. I was like, is that a, a reference to something that actual ha- actually happened? I'm guessing that I had that same question. I was so like, oh, sad. I guess somebody threw a burrito on one of their guys. I think <laughs> maybe they referenced that after skiing one time when mm. they were like the three of them were sitting down with hot cocoa. And she says they'll have a target on their backs if she writes another book. And the daughters say, as long as it comes from a place of healing, they're cool with it. As long as it's not like retribution. Heather ITMs, it means everything to her that her daughters support her and that she has raised children who are resilient. I have some mixed emotions about, I think it's a good play to ask her daughters and get their support. But in some ways, I feel like it also is an empty gesture. Yeah, so I don't know what to make of that. But I I do know what to make of their little book number two dance that was so awkward and uncomfortable to watch. And that was almost my error of the game just because it was so... Cringy. <laughs> cringy, cringy. Well, so then we get to our final scene. Unlike our past previous episodes, what I think the editors had hoped would be the big climactic moment of the show is not. It is not. So Lisa's in the kitchen making a little food plate. Uh, she ITMs that she hates how she feels. She's frustrated with how Angie is treating her. And, you know, why is her friend not her friend? Angie says, you know, basically she needed to catch her breath after all these events and after Lisa leaving so upset from the prison event. They do kind of a little bit of a face play edit with Angie when Lisa sort of counters that mirror card of I need a break too. Angie says she thinks Lisa's upset because Lisa thinks that Angie is taking Monica's side. Lisa has her big, wait, 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 I'm confused. And she sticks to her narrative. This is not about a jealousy of the friendship between Angie and Monica. It's more about Angie, her Lisa wanting Angie to be honest with her. Angie then says that Monica asked for a sit down to talk about Greek Easter. And Angie explains that they've worked everything out. I think that I think this is just a lot of of Angie being a people pleaser. Like she's trying to please Monica, yeah. but then she's trying to please Lisa by 
not making it come off as if she's trying to please Monica. <laughs> There's another another moment where we have Angie saying there was some resolve. And as you know, Sandra, nothing drives me crazier than the Salt Lake City people saying I found some resolve with this person. Like <laughs> this it's driving me crazy, this grammatical use of resolve. Lisa says, like Lisa's sort of surprised. She didn't know about the meeting between Angie and Monica. Angie wants to take full responsibility. She's been wishy-washy. She's been afraid to be clear. Lisa says, you know, Angie, your insecurities are not my problem. She ITMs that it's a cop-out to say that Lisa is the reason Angie's afraid to be honest. Angie's afraid. She's the reason that she's afraid to be honest, that she's weak, afraid, and a liar. Angie says that Lisa would think it takes away from their friendship if she's friends with Heather. And that's why she didn't tell her about the birdhouse thing. And Lisa's like, no, this is because you got an apology from Heather. I didn't. And it like, we both deserve the apology, but only you got it, basically. Angie then ITMs that she is a people pleaser. And she thinks her friendships with Monica and Heather upset Lisa, which I agree with. I think that's mm-hmm. true. Lisa asks how Angie thinks it feels to have friends hiding things from her when she is an open book and she shares everything. Do you think that's true? Mm. Do you think Lisa's an open book? I think so. I think Lisa just says kind of like what comes to her mind and doesn't really think about it that much. Yeah, I think we've seen her definitely be very in the moment, shall we say, with her comments. And when she is usually confronted, she has like about a three second, wait, what? And then she'll be like, oh yeah, it was. And then she just sort of like tries to pawn it off as not a big deal, but she doesn't right. really <laughs> deny things. Yeah. But she gives what she is, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Angie kind of tries to pull out some, what I felt was a really weak, like distraction, like, but, oh, you pulled away from me at the Prism event and I would never treat you that way, mm. which doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, and Lisa was saying she acted that way because she didn't feel like Angie was being honest with her and that mm-hmm. Angie doesn't need to have secrets. Angie owns that it is not Lisa's fault that Angie herself doesn't feel safe telling her things. This is where I think this sort of openness, honesty, apology play um, that she used, she used it with Meredith back at the book event, but it doesn't work mm-hmm. here. And it's, it's, I think she's trying to diffuse Lisa's confrontation but I think in this instance, her owning her behaviors just makes her seem weaker and insecure. Mm, mm. I don't know. I don't know if Angie's positioning herself for the long game here or not. Lisa wants to clarify. She wants clarity and consistency. She never doubts that Angie is her friend. She's not five. She doesn't care about Angie being friends with others. Angie says she's been on eggshells worrying about Lisa's feelings. And that's why she hasn't told her things and that it's backfired because it hurt Lisa. She says, so we're good. Uh, or Lisa wraps it up with, yeah, like, so we're good. And then you get a, a you get a clip of Angie's face, which doesn't totally look like she's good. It looks like she's holding something in still and just trying to make peace. And um, Lisa gives a little performative smile, like she's trying to convince the cameras. But they have a resolve. They have, oh, God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, this whole thing freaks really high on the MDS for me. Yeah. Not with Lisa. I think Le- Lisa was legitimately, legitimately mad and she was being like her own authentic self in that. I don't even think it was Angie. I think this is MDS on the part of like manufactured drama on the part of the producers. Okay. I think that 
they knew all that Lisa needed to resolve this because it seems like she keeps saying to everyone, I don't understand why Angie is forgiving Monica or why she's okay with Monica. And the only missing piece here is that Lisa doesn't know that Angie and Monica met. And if they could just come together and have that conversation, like it would be resolved. The only thing stopping them from doing that is that they just haven't done it yet. And when you think of like the production and the production schedule, and they're the ones saying, okay, this is when this is conversation is going to happen. This is when we're filming this event. This is when we're filming this event. I think they just like dragged it out. So Lisa could just keep like, and I know that they tell them not to talk about any of the issues they're having with each other outside of filming time. So they're just letting Lisa spin and like right. go a little crazier to each person and drawing it out until finally we have this moment where it's like, oh, you are, you had a conversation with her and you guys made up and that's why you guys are now fine with each other. I get it. Now I'm okay. Right. And it's like, that didn't need to happen. Like, it's like that. It's like the book. Like, I hate when a plot of a book or a movie is the entire thing is just like, oh, these two people just needed to talk. You know, like that's when like someone a like company episode, like, yeah, that's like the, the foundation of <laughs> yeah. every farce in the world, right? It's just based on a minor misunderstanding. Yeah. It's like when you have that ex, someone who has like an ex lover that they've never forgiven for X, Y, Z. And there's a note from that ex lover in their bedside table that they've never opened for 50 years. And I'm like, just open the fucking letter. And then it's all resolved. <laughs> like we cannot have like an entire book plot about that. And I also think that we cannot have an entire episode plot about like Lisa just needs to talk to Angie and then she'll get it. It, right. it, just, it just fell flat to me. Yeah, no, I, th- I it fell flat to me. And this whole episode overall, uh, you know, going back, I felt I did get a lot out of it. I, I did get got a little bit more Meredith out of it. I got definitely a lot of Heather out of it. And I got I got a little bit of Monica out of it. Like I really enjoyed Monica in this episode. Yeah. So we then we cut to scenes for next week. We get the women in their pioneer bonnets shaking something in jars. Cue the sexual jokes. We get Meredith and Seth doing more podcasting with guests Justin and Whitney. We cue Seth having inappropriate questions about their sex life. He uses the word whoopee, which may be my error of the game for next week when I see that episode. (laughs) I looked at their podcast episodes and I don't see any Whitney and Justin episode. Oh, maybe it hasn't aired yet. Yeah, maybe they're waiting to next week to release it. And then we get Heather suggesting Bermuda for the cast trip or for a birthday party. And Monica is starting shit at the Pioneer Bonnet Day. And Angie throws a dish. Oppa! The Pioneer Bonnet Day looks wonderful. I'm I'm really excited for that. Biggest uh, drama plays that looks like we're going to get are going to be from our rookie players, Monica and Angie, who are just doing a lot of the heavy lifting this season. They really are. Or at least these few episodes. Well, who was your your MVP? That's that's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. So you might be surprised by this, but I had a an epiphany kind of at the end when I was thinking about the whole episode together. And I thought for managing to stay low on that manufactured drama scale by just naturally kind of taking everything personally and for her low manufactured drama friendship growth with Heather for managing to get the chance to sing her hit single Away in a Manger on camera again for the second season in a row and her growth play in her friendship with Angie, Lisa Barlow was my 
MVP. That is a solid, solid MVP. I think that I, that's a great one. I um, I like that. I like that a lot. There was no big like shocking plays or drama for her, but I thought she put in a great episode all around and just reminded me how important it is to have players who kind of come in and out of drama naturally without having to force it. And I think she's one of those players because she just is someone who she just naturally takes things personally. And so she will just naturally get mad. But then she'll also like make up with you. And so I think having a player like that is is important. I like that. In a similar vein, um, I thought that for hosting an all cast event, bringing the heart, bringing the comedy with her visit to Mary Cosby, kind of knitting this whole episode together um, and even showing up in that final scene confrontation in a flashback, I gave my MVP this week to Heather Gay. Okay. So, but it's similar, you know, we both sort of like, I think we both were, I like that we were both looking at the overall arc and sort of like who really was the MVP in this. And I, you know, I thought about Monica just because we did both give her, her our play of the game, but in between the fights, I just feel like we need to somehow be endeared to her again. Yeah, that's, I mean, an MVP and a play of the game are very different things, right? Yeah. Like who is like consistently throughout the game supporting the team and helping that, you know, like who's got the most assists kind of almost, you know, like a team captain who's been the leader uh, of yeah. the episode. And and that just wasn't Monica. It definitely wasn't Monica, yeah. but that was an outrageous like that was the you know the 80 yard run for the touchdown it was <laughs> an sure, amazing yeah, was amazing touchdown. play but it was not I, the whole game i guess what i'm worried about it's just like that the scene with the where we were at heather's book party and she was like making the snarky, snarky comments about lisa i was just starting to worry that if she doesn't bring enough of that heart with her to the audience as well as to her fellow players that she might turn into a complete villain with like no redemption. Right. Um, right. And she might turn everyone against her. So that's, I guess what I'm, I'm just worried. I just want to see like a little more heart and a little more of that from her. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, uh, you heard it here first. Um, because nobody else is talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's our new tagline. <laughs> you heard it here first. Because nobody else is talking about it. Um, yeah, you go visit our Insta. We are following, of course, our six housewives. And um, so you can easily access them from there. And that that's Real Housewives of Bend, Oregon. On Insta. <laughs> Insta life. <laughs> Just wait. A year from now, you're going to be like hashtagging and uh, you're going to be we're going to have you on TikTok. You're going to be creating TikTok videos with Miles. And I just, I can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. What's hopefully going to happen. What I would like to do at some point is um, I, I did look up some Real Housewives parodies um, online because in my mind, as I'm watching these shows, I'm contrasting it to our lives here in Bend, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And all of the parodies thus far are sort of exaggerations where everyone's wearing big wigs and being like very over the top and dramatic, but sort of the same content that our housewives do deliver. Whereas I sort of am looking to contrast with my real housewives of Ben's um, skits that I would like to start writing and filming with my friends here in Bend, Oregon. Um, and then we can have a spinoff of the real dogs of, of Bend, uh, real house dogs of, there are of Bend, a Oregon. There are a lot of house dogs here. Yes. So 
Um, and, and none of them are pampered unless you consider the fact that they get to go <laughs> run around wild in nature being pampered and then that's it. <laughs> okay, friend, I can't wait for our, our bonnet drama next week. And I can't wait to break it all down with you right here. Yeah. Thanksgiving week in bonnets. It's going to be a good time. 